20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. We are once again co branded with Packers Wire today. And joining me is the one and only Paul Brettel. You can find him on Twitter or X at Paul underscore Brettel. Paul, great to have you back on the show. We are still basking in a Packers playoff victory. Three, four consecutive wins, actually. Um, what, a, what a time to be alive. What a time to be a Packer fan. No kidding. It's mid-January and we still get the opportunity to talk about the Packers 2023 season. Just uh, fantastic. And I hope you're staying warm out there, Andy. I'm doing my best. Uh, same to you. It has been quite chilly as of late. We were catching up uh, on lost time after all of the mild right. weather that we had for so long. But uh, yeah, no, this is this is unbelievable. Like for a while, like I almost planned, by the way, uh, this is this is my bad here. I will admit my transgressions. I will confess my sins to everyone. I almost booked a flight out to New Orleans uh, this this upcoming weekend um, to, to go out with some friends. Um, I had it booked and I'm like, you know what? Uh, there's a chance that they could like still be playing. And this was a few weeks ago. I'm like, what are the odds that they win in Carolina, you know, and then, and then Chicago and then Minnesota or switch those obviously, and then win their first playoff game. I'm like, what, what are the odds they really win four games in a row? Like I probably can just book this to, to nope. No, I cannot. And thank goodness I didn't. I, right. I came, came through in the end, but now this is amazing. Uh, what, what a journey. And it, it's just been a really special time to be a Packer fan. Yeah, there's, you know, we hear the old cliche, there's at this time of the year, what do you want? You want a healthy team and you want to be playing your best football. And especially on this Packers offensive side of the ball, they're definitely playing their best football. I mean, that unit's red hot right now. And from a healthy standpoint, like they're definitely healthier and, you know, as much as you can be this time of the year and given the injuries that have happened, they're getting pretty close in that area as well. Injuries are getting a little bit better. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, But it's funny that you bring up playing your best football because that was one of my big talking points back in training camp, but not in the usual sense. I I said on multiple occasions, I want to see this team playing its best football so that they can carry that over into the 2024 season, not necessarily carry that over into January 2024 into a freaking playoff run. But yet here we are early 2024 and they've carried that over from the end of last season or the, the regular season into the playoffs. They're playing their best football. This offense is lights out right now. I don't I don't know what you draw up to stop these guys. I'll let you go in any direction that you want from the, the key talking points from this one. But I don't know how you go about stopping this offense. Yeah, and I, I think the prime example of that is Jaden Reed and Christian Watson combined for one catch for nine yards, and the offense put up 41 points. Jordan Love just had an incredibly efficient day. You got Romeo Dobbs going for a career day with 152 yards, I believe it was. They gen, you know, Love only had 21 pass attempts, and six of those of of those were explosive plays, 20 or more yards, like just an incredibly dynamic, efficient performance. And obviously a lot of the attention is on Jordan Love. And I just want to highlight that, that touchdown past it on Tavian Wicks. I do my instant takeaways article after, and I use that as the example of someone who is just in complete, complete control from start to finish, uses the hard count, identifies the blitz, the play clocks running down, like, even that aspect of it, it's like under seven seconds, five seconds. He's making the protection adjustments all calm, you know, communicating with the wide receivers. Play starts to unfold. 
Uh, one of the blitzers comes through, and even then he stays in the pocket. He's backpedaling, even goes with a little pump fake as it's come as the blitzers coming in, and then just that arm talent that he has delivers an absolute dime to Dontavian Wicks. Like again, from before the snap through the snap to the throw, just beautiful execution from start to finish from Jordan Love. And I thought that's just a prime example of just where he is right now and his comfortability, his confidence. And I know we'll talk about the Niners a little bit later, but when you have a quarterback playing at that level, and again, not saying they're going to win by any means, but when you have a quarterback playing at that level, it gives you a shot Like when, when you have some an elite play at the quarterback position. So just a, a truly incredible play, really, really efficient performance. On the defensive side of things, you know, want to give credit to the execution from the players, uh, the game plan from Joe Barry and perhaps Matt LaFleur as well, depending on how much he was a part of that conversation, but just a really good job of uh, disguising coverages, mixing things up, like from the beginning, especially that first half, Dak Prescott, that passing game was just just disjointed, looked very much uncomfortable. The first reads weren't there for him to to go to, and that kind of had that trickle-down effect towards that uncomfortable play. And last thing I'll say is, you know, at Packers Wire, we do our – predictions you know on Fridays or Saturdays before the game and hand up haven't done that well this year predicting this team I've they've been all I've been I've been all over the place with them not necessarily knowing what to expect week to week but I did pick them this one and not to pat myself on the back but going into the reasoning behind it here you know you could I think you could kind of see the path to victory here get the run game going win the turnover battle things that they did things that were reasonable that you could see how they'd win but I started off my explanation by talking about the underdog role. And I feel that that's something that this team has really, really embraced that they like that flying under the radar. They like being, you know, discounted or, you know, not, not having all the attention on them and just continually going about their business. It just felt like in the weeks leading up, to this game in the week prior that that was a role that they are fully invested in that they've embraced Aaron Jones talked about it after the game and so honestly that was part of kind of that gut feeling that you get in in picking them they're they're comfortable with where they're at who they are and for what I mentioned earlier playing their best football getting healthier all those things and so it just came to fruition on that football field and just an an absolute dominant performance uh, from this Packers team. Yeah, speaking of that underdog mentality in the offseason, I think I, I po- posted something on Twitter about you know, something about, again, this was when like we were in the the great offseason wars of whether or not it was a rebuild or not. And I mentioned the word. I think Keyshawn Nixon quote tweeted it. I know he did and, and said something like, no, we're, we're screw this rebuild BS or something to that extent. We're, we're going mm-hmm. out to win. I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I would want the team to say. Like, that's exactly what I want the players to say. Um, but, uh, and then of course, like Bakhtiari comes on and is, and he, or he says something of like in the off season that like the team is rebuilding or something. And then people ran with that. And then the team's sitting at two and five. And then my, in the back of my mind, I'm kind of thinking like, see, see this is kind of a rebuild guys. Like this is kind of, and then this, but this team has adopted that same mindset pretty much all season long that Keyshawn had in the off season of like rebuild reboot whatever screw this we're gonna go out and win football games they've embraced it like i said that's exactly what you want to see from the players from day one and they they somehow have found their, their way into the divisional round playoff against the san francisco 49ers green bay's like a little bit of their arch nemesis as of late to say the least uh i want to go back to the the Dontavian wicks jordan love play though 
Um, mm-hmm. We've obviously talked about the the love portion of that, and uh, you know, I know Justice and I talked about it a little bit yesterday as well. But as I rewatched it again today, because I can't stop rewatching that play, two other things stood out to me. At least it just like sort of like dawned on me as well. It's awesome that Jordan's doing all this stuff, and that's going to lend itself moving forward to him having more autonomy and control. Like that is golden. But the person who had to stay in and max protect is rookie Tucker Craft. Mm-hmm. He has to also know that call from Jordan that was implemented in months past when they were facing more blitz heavy teams. And maybe when he wasn't even necessarily in the lineup at that time, cause he might've been a backup at the time. Uh, but he had to not only know the call, but then live on an Island one-on-one. I, th- I think it was an edge rusher. I'd have to go back and look who was pressuring specifically on Kraft on the play, but I know he executed his block. He was awesome at it. So not only knowing that from Tucker Kraft of what Jordan was trying to accomplish by having him max protect, but then executing the block, that's a rookie. And then the guy catching the pass, Dontavian Wicks, also has to know everything that's going on, understand that he has to win at the top of his route. He does a great move at the top, goes, gets the corner to lean a little bit outside. Wicks actually like runs such a good route that he actually stumbles a little bit on the play and still is able to get up and just have acres of space to beat uh, Stefan Gilmore on the play. But those are, that's a first year starting quarterback with a rookie tight end and a rookie wide receiver that are making that play go. So all the flowers in the world to Jordan, because that's all like on him to get that all set up. But man, a ton of credit to two rookies in Dontavian Wicks and Tucker Kraft for also uh, being doing exactly what needed to be done in that situation. Yeah. And pivoting back to last week's conversation a little bit where we were talking about kind of the off the field stuff that love has brought to this team, like that, absolutely could be a product of all those Tuesdays that he spent with the receivers, with the tight ends going through the film and how, what the, what the checks are, how he wants them to run certain routes against certain coverages and all of that. Like that's one of those things that could just be a product in that specific moment of something that maybe happened a month ago or two months ago. And last thing I'll add is when you're talking about the, the 49ers and be, you know, a team that's given obviously the Packers fits in the playoffs here as of late, I think one of the things that they have going for them and something that they've had going for them this year is the youth uh, on this team, because especially on the offensive side of the ball, like a lot of these guys weren't a part of those previous losses to the 49ers in the playoffs. And I think to a degree, there's a there's a benefit, there's a value in not knowing, not knowing that you shouldn't win this game not knowing what happened in 2021 or 2019 in the playoffs and just going out there feeling confident, realizing you're playing your best football and just going out there to try to execute. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And I think there's almost a a beautiful ignorance in all of it of like, does, does age doesn't matter. Like all of the like experience doesn't matter. This is just football. They've all played it for forever. And it's just going out and executing what's asked of them by the coaches and they're just doing it at a super high level. Well, let's stick to the offense here for a second. I want to talk about a couple wide receivers. The first one is one that you mentioned already in Romeo Dobbs. I don't want to say that like Romeo has been like totally forgotten by any stretch of the imagination. I think everyone still recognizes he's a good football player, but at the same token, it's super easy. And it sort of has gotten to this of like, Oh my goodness, Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, even Bo Melton. Like, and then a lot of conversation is on Christian Watson and is he available? Is he not available? What he brings to the team when he is available, what a letdown it is when he's not available. And then just like, kind of like by the side, doing his own thing, not super flashy, not loud in the locker room is Romeo Dobbs who just continues to be the picture of consistency, not complaining when he doesn't get the ball. And then, 
you know, when you need six targets to go his way, he can put up six for 151 and a touchdown in a massive performance. This is a really good wide receiver that I think brings something different to their wide receiver group that a Wicks and a Watson and a, a Melton and all those guys for as great as they are. I, I think Dobbs does bring something different to the table. And this just goes to show the embarrassment of riches that they have at the position and why like you can't have enough because um, you brought up, I think what Watson had one catch and Reed had none. I'll even add on to that. Melton had one and Malik Heath wasn't even active. Like four mm-hmm. of those wide receivers that we're all excited about combined for two catches and one guy had to be inactive just because of the numbers game. But in this situation, it was Dobbs last week. It was uh Reed two weeks ago. It was uh Bo Melton this week. It might be Dontavian Wicks the week after that. It might be Watson. That's, mm-hmm. that's what is going to be. And I think the great thing is it doesn't necessarily seem like any of these guys are getting frustrated or upset. Matt's mentioned that on a couple different occasions and Jordan can just go through and go through his progressions and the Packers can put in, the position, the the players in positions to be successful, if they need, if they think like, hey, we need a bigger possession wide receiver to run this sort of thing. All right, let's get Romeo in there. If they need a speed guy to stretch the field, let's get Christian in there. Like they all have something different they bring. But I think it's important that we, we don't forget of exactly what Romeo Dobbs can still bring to this team. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Pick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, I believe Adam Stenovich referred to him as kind of the, I think he said security net for Jordan Love this season because of all the ups and downs that have gone on at that wide receiver room, you know, Romeo Dobbs, not that he hasn't had some of his own, but he's been the the stabilizing force within that room. He started in all 18 games, you know, up to this point in the season for the Packers uh, came, has come through countless times in those key pivotal moments in the red zone um, on third downs, I believe uh, on third or fourth down this season, he's caught 19 of his 30 passes his way with 16 of those 19 going for a first down inside the 10 yard line. He's caught six of nine passes with all six going for a touchdown. Hey, Matt LaFleur continually goes back to the strong hands that Romeo Dobbs has. And I, when every time he references, I just think back to that Chargers touchdown in those final few minutes in that left corner of the end zone, just how quickly he can go up and snatch that ball. So yeah, again, he doesn't have the, 
the speed like Reed and Watson does. Um, you know, Wicks obviously has the ability as a route runner, route runner, and Dobbs does to a degree as well. But he's just been such a, a stabilizing force, and I, I really like that you mentioned how well these guys work together. Uh, I think it was after this last game where Matt Lafleur said that you know you would have thought Christian Watson and Jane Reed had the hundred yard performance with just how yeah. excited they were for Romeo Dobbs. And it wasn't just cause it was Dobbs. It, it was after the Minnesota game where Bo Melton had the hundred yard performance. Like that receiver room is really, really close, really, really tight knit. And I think for the coaches and, and, and just going about the game planning and just everything about this process that goes into what we see on Sunday, I think it just makes all of that the all the more easier for that aspect of it, being able to go out there and execute and just them being able to cheer each other on, root each other on. And then to Jordan Love, uh, you know, his he just he's going where the read says and what the defense does. It it doesn't, you know, outside of that, that there doesn't seem to be any sort of, you know, favorites or 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 anything along those lines. It's just what the defense is doing, that's where the ball's going. And that's why we see, for one, nobody having a hundred yard performance because the ball's being spread around. And then now it's been three guys, three straight weeks in a row, but all different players. And when we talk about stress and defenses, I mean, man, that's that's a great way to do it when literally it could be a high pressure situation, a key moment in the game. And you got Christian Watson and Jaden Reed out there, but you also have to worry just as much about Bo Melton getting the ball too. And like, what was it? Uh, Malik Keith that he dropped the touchdown in the end zone. And then they yeah, came right, he came right back to him on the, the deep out for a touchdown right after that. Like he does not care. Like it, if whoever is in there and like, they've all pretty much come up big when needed to, it's crazy, and it, it extends to the tight ends, Aaron Jones as well. They, yeah. They're just rich with talent, and it's really fun to see this offense operating on all levels. I want to talk about one other wide receiver, and that is Christian Watson. We saw him get back this week, one catch, not exactly like this dynamic playmaker, but I thought one specific play uh, I posted on Twitter, I think you retweeted it as well, mm-hmm. um, was a, a play where Christian's running down, uh, I think he's running like a, a deep, like basically like a crosser. He's just literally like stretching the field all the way across it. And uh, you get to the like end of the play and Christian's triangulated by three defenders. And then Romeo Dobbs is just chilling in the middle of the field wide open. And that's one of the the Dobbs plays that gets, I don't know, 20, 30 yards on the play. I forget what it was. But just that presence of Watson streaking down the field has a gravity towards it. He's just like a black hole. He just pulls everything towards him and it opens everything up underneath. It's not like Watson was in on all of these Romeo plays, but it shouldn't be lost that like you get your speed guy back and low look like underneath middle of the field. Look what's open a lot more Romeo Dobbs, your possession receiver chilling out there in some space because you've got Musgrave, you've got Watson, you've got Reed, you've got Melton, you've got speed on the field that is stretching them vertically, horizontally. And now guys like Kraft and Musgrave and Dobbs who want to live in the middle of the field, don't be surprised if they can eat even more because so much of the defense has to be worried about those playmakers on the outside. I thought that that one play by Watson was such a perfect picture of exactly that. Yeah, you, we talk about the different skill sets that these guys have, and in some capacities, there's some interchangeability that they have as well. But there isn't anyone, even with the speed that you know Reed might have or Melton that might have, that can do or bring to the table what Christian Watson does with the size and speed combination. And Jaden Reed talked about this a few weeks ago when Watson first came back to practice from the hamstring injury, and just that you know 
him as you know on the field with Watson can feel his presence just in how the defense is reacting, how they're defending the other receivers and just the opportunities that creates for for everyone else out there. And so he's not someone who's you know the the stat sheet doesn't always to your point, you know, do justice to what his impact is when he's on the field with them. No, totally. And I, I, again, he's one of those players that he's a little bit of a force multiplier. When he's out on the field, he makes other people better just because there is that gravity towards him and making sure he cannot get those big plays down the field. But you see three defenders just kind of, again, cornering them and you just see like, oh, yeah, that the other people are going to be open because there's a fear of what Watson can do out on the field. All right. Sticking with the offense before we switch over to the defense, this offensive line deserve so much credit as well for their performance in this game. Zach Tom was phenomenal. Like listen, these these Dallas defenders are going to get some wins as well. You're not you're not going into Dallas against this defensive line and just have you know like pitching a shutout. They're going to get theirs at time, but um for for the opponent that you're playing in their house, uh what this offensive line did both in run blocking and in pass protection was super impressive and there was there's was positive grades almost all around for the offensive line they, they deserve so much credit in this one yeah i mean the cowboys came into this game as the number one defense in terms of pressure rate this season and love was only pressured on four of his 21 dropbacks and we all know aaron jones had another 100 yard game 5.6 yards per rush like they are just playing so well together right now and i know i mentioned last week john runyon's comments about the the coaching staff doing a really good job about putting them in position to be successful but I mean, what a turnaround that this this unit's had from the start of the season because all those issues that, you know, stood out with Love's inaccuracy, the the receivers, the wrong routes, drop passes, all that. Like, the offensive line was a contributor as well. Like, the Packers had no run game early on in the season. There was a stretch where, you know, Love was under pressure at a pretty heavy rate. And once they started that uh, rotation along the offensive line at left tackle and right guard in week nine, that's where things really started to – to turn over for this team. And I know several of the coaches have commented on how they love the competition that that fostered and how that elevated the play of, of everyone around them. And not just for the Packers, but for any team, you know, success is going to start up front. And when you have a run game, like the Packers do right now, that's averaging over five yards per carry Aaron Jones, having the success that he does. And you're given a quarterback like Jordan love who's playing at the level that he's at time. I mean, that's a that's a, a ridiculous combo for defenses to have to to match up with. Like I mentioned at the start, they had six explosive plays in in sixteen completions, while Aaron Jones is averaging almost six yards per carry. Like if you're defense, what are you going to do in those situations when you have to defend both of those, you know, efficient passing, efficient running games? And one other thing off of this, those four pressures that Jordan Love had on his dropbacks, he was four for four for like 115 yards and a touchdown. He's been one of the most efficient, most effective quarterbacks when under pressure since week 14 of the regular season. He's been so good. And of all the areas that he's experienced growth in this season, I mean, that one in particular has been where he's made some of the biggest jumps with it. Yeah, totally. I have one semi-hot take on the offensive line moving forward. We saw earlier there was great competition between John Runyon Jr. and Sean Ryan, Yash Nyman, and Rasheed Walker. And there came a time where they recognized, all right, Walker's just out playing Yash. Like, it's great that we had the competition. It's great to get Yash snaps. But we've reached a point in the season where the better player is just in need of playing. And that was Rasheed Walker, clearly. And obviously they made the move and he's been the starter and the full-time player ever since. 
if you would have told me I would have been saying this a handful of weeks ago, I would not have believed you. But John Runyon Jr. just needs to take that spot, in my opinion, mm-hmm. at right guard. He has played so much better over the last five weeks. He has a plus 1.25 grade for me over the past five weeks. He's still my lowest graded player on the season, which just gives you an idea of like, you know, the the difference between where he was at. Like he, we were reaching like almost like Byron Bell territory with Runyon for a while, um, at least where it was trending. So these past five weeks for him to go from that to you know, legitimately grading in the positive every single week. Um, to me, he's earned his spot back. I don't think Sean Ryan's done enough to be like, this is different or better in a, a drastic way. I get that Runyon might be gone in the offseason. This is the playoffs now. And I think you just have to play the player that's been hotter in, in the moment. And for me, over the past five weeks, when the games have mattered most, that's been Runyon. I'm not upset if they want to keep it going. I don't think it's like anything egregious or drastic. But I do think it's to the point where Runyon's playing noticeably better and you're in the playoffs and just play the better guy at this point. You can go in any direction you want with that. But for me, um, and again, I'm shocked I'm saying this. If you would have told five, six weeks ago, Andy, that I was saying this, I would not have believed you. But um, right now, I just think he's playing better. Yeah, like you mentioned with Walker and Nyman, there was this lag time between where it seemed pretty clear that, all right, Walker's the guy before he eventually became the guy and was the one holding down those snaps. And when Adam Stenovich is talking each week, like you can, he doesn't hide very well how he, you know, how he feels about certain players or how they're performing. And when he talks about John Runyon, it's a lot of glowing comments about him. When it's Sean Ryan, of course, there's positives, but he was very quick to pivot to specifically pass blocking as somewhere where he, has to improve and when asked if you know ryan could be someone that they could lean upon you know looking ahead to 2024 and beyond wasn't like wasn't a foregone conclusion that's it it's hey he's still got some things to work on before he can be a full-time guard starting in the nfl so to your point i think from just kind of how adam stenovich addresses these comments sometimes i think that's where the thinking is but like we talked about at left tackle there was that lag time before that decision was made and perhaps because they're in the midst of a playoff run, things are working so well, maybe they don't want to rock the boat. Yeah, it's t- and it's totally plausible and it's totally understandable if that's true. Um, but th- that's an interesting one to kind of keep an eye on moving forward. Um, all right, let's jump to the defense. I want to start with a player I know you wrote about. I actually wrote about him in my grades article today as well. It doesn't take a genius or anyone watching the all 22 every play to understand that Darnell Savage had a great game in this one. Anytime you get a pick six, that's going to be a good day at the office. But I actually thought he had a really nice day, even outside the pick six. Uh, Matt LaFleur talked about his communication ability with this game for me. Uh, Darnell has now moved into the top five in grades on defense this year. He was just kind of like middling through the course of this year. And then he has a really big game in the playoffs, which bumped it up. But um, this has been an interesting scenario where going into the year, he had that sort of albatross of a guaranteed contract that they couldn't get off of. They they couldn't trade that contract away. Releasing them doesn't do anything because you have to pay the whole contract anyway. He's basically like guaranteed to be on the roster no matter what. Uh, I'm impressed by Savage. I think this is the second best year of his career outside of 2020 so far. He's an unrestricted free agent in the offseason. I don't expect that they are going to like get any sort of long-term deal done. Um, and I think there's still a decent chance that maybe they just want to try to go in a different direction, maybe get younger and maybe get some new blood in that safety room. But I think he's definitely raised the stakes a little bit and enter, like re-entered the conversation of, hey, I like I've put together a pretty good season and um, he's coming off the arguably 
maybe the best game of his career against Dallas. Um, yeah, I, I'll just leave it at that, that this is a great game for Darnell and he's kind of back in the conversation of like, is he back next year or not? Yeah. And just in addition to what he's, how he's performed on the football field, it's, I think a lot of the, or some of the other factors I should say are going to be the, the other stuff that he brings to the equation since the summer, Matt LaFleur has, when speaking about Savage has spoken glowingly about his, his leadership that he's, um, shown that he's taken on, you know, because being in the room previously with, you know, a player like Adrian Amos, a, a veteran, it didn't sound like Savage's leadership qualities were necessarily showing too. But now where he's the, you know, the, I guess the older player in that room from an experience standpoint, at least, you know, he's taken on that role and done a really good job in it. And when he was on IR, you know, you would see, uh, up from the press box, you know, pregame as they're going through warmups, there's Darnell Savage in the middle of everything, you know, getting everyone excited and just being a part of it, still being in the mix with the team, even though he had been out for that time period. And I think Matt LaFleur, when asked about that, said that that, that approach isn't always normal, isn't always something that you see. And again, goes back to that leadership aspect of it. And for the communication, I remember, I think it was after the Panthers game, I, I had mentioned that I just wonder how much Darnell Savage not being in there is affecting that communication aspect of it. And since he's been back the last three games, Minnesota, Chicago, and now Dallas, that aspect of this Packers team has been a lot more buttoned up. You yeah. know, we're not seeing the same massive blown coverage assignments. We're not seeing, you know, everyone scrambling last second, trying to figure out where they're supposed to be, what their responsibilities are. And in no way am I saying that's only because of Darnell Savage. It's, like, it's football. There's a million different factors. Jair Alexander playing at a high level right now. You know, Matt LaFleur mentioning that he's going to take on a little bit more of the responsibilities on defense. And now we're seeing some changes. Again, there's a million factors to this. But I also don't think it's a coincidence either that things start to improve in that regard when Darnell Savage is back in the mix. And uh, I asked Matt LaFleur about that, and he said this is his strength. This is one of the things that he does very, very good, making those last-second checks, making sure that everyone knows where they're supposed to be, their responsibilities, their assignments, all of that. And so I think that's been uh, his role uh, has been a key factor in that improvement within that part of the defense. Yeah, you bring up another great point just in sort of the the calculus of whether or not to bring him back. He has missed seven games this year, so he has been nicked up on a couple different occasions, and that's definitely been a little bit of an issue for him. But um, overall, really nice season for Darnell. I think we went into this season thinking that that safety room not might not only just be like the worst unit on the team, but might be one of like the worst positional groups in football. And they deserve a lot of credit because I don't think anyone's like writing home about like, oh my goodness, they have the, this great safety room, but they've been solid all season long. And I, I think that's about all you could ask from that safety room going into this season. Let's stick on defense. I want to talk to you about the loss of Kingsley, JJ and Igbare, because I think this is a, I think this is a manageable injury, but at the same token, he plays a lot and he's actually been making a pretty decent impact over the second half of this season. They have the bodies at the position, meaning they've got Rashawn, they've got Preston Smith, you've got a first round pick in LVN, and then you still have Brenton Cox that's on the active roster. It's not like it's not like when they lost Rashawn last year, and it's not like a situation where you've got to play a bunch of Ladarius Hamiltons and Tipa Naliyais. This is not that same sort of situation, but this is still definitely a loss for the defense. Yeah, I mean, uh, LVN's going to probably have to take on a little bit of a larger role. You know, he's been in that second rotation with Enigbari this season. 
And then they're going to have to most likely rely on Brenton Cox to some degree. I mean, going in with a, you know, you can't go into a game with a three man edge rusher rotation. Like he's going to have to take some snaps in this game and his first significant, I think he's got, you know, five or six snaps in three games that he's been active this season, you know, so his first, you know, quote unquote, significant playing time is going to be in, in the NFC divisional round. And we, you know, saw him flash in the preseason. He, uh, on the football field, but obviously it's a different animal this time of the year. So that that depth is overall is going to be tested just because naturally edge rusher is such a heavily rotated position. You know, you got your Smith and Gary, like you mentioned, LVN, but you're going to have to rely on your undrafted rookie who's only seen a handful of snaps to go in and play some meaningful downs for you uh, against the San Francisco team. And for that offense and how they operate and just the the efficiency that Brock Purdy operates with and getting the ball out of his hands, like even if the Packers were at you know full capacity at the edge rusher position, like that that opponent is going to be a challenge because you got to get there quick. Otherwise, you know, he's going to have that time and they'll just be able to pick you apart like they've done to so many other opponents this season. So that aspect is definitely going to be tested. And, you know, Enig Bari, he's definitely made that progress in year two that you hope to see from players, especially from a, a day three pick to playing so many meaningful snaps and someone who's held his own, you know, in the run game and someone who's become more productive as a pass rusher. I'm going to add two little wrinkles to this conversation. In this, in late in this game, when they were so, Enigbari goes down, and then I think Preston's been a little bit banged up, so they're trying to they're trying to do some different things. They did a couple looks where there was a, I think it was a couple snaps where Enigbari and Carl Brooks were on the edge as down as, as like hand in the dirt defensive ends in like a, almost like a four three sort of look, but it was only two linebackers. But you get my point. Um, it wouldn't shock me, especially against San Francisco with their running ability, if they didn't feel like Brenton Cox was a player that they wanted to put a bunch on his plate. Um, if all of a sudden to get Carl Brooks a little bit more involved, uh, if he got a little bit of time on the edge. And uh, like I said, he saw a couple plays there. He had a hand on the ground. It wasn't like he was standing up or anything, which also he did do in college. I think that's one thing that they could potentially look at. If again they didn't want to put a bunch on Brenton Cox's plate in a you know playoff divisional round game, like welcome to the NFL kid. Um, and then the second thing I will say is, I I said I said something similar last week. Rashawn has not been playing poorly, but he has not been the impact player that Green Bay really needs him to be, especially in games like this. This is his PFF. So he had the ninety-one point nine grade against Detroit. He had three sacks in that game. Massive impact. Since that time, he has one sack, which was a week later against Kansas City. His PFF grades after that 91.9 performance, and their average is 60 for those out there who haven't followed PFF closely, 58.9, 58 58.6, 62.4, 59.9, 73.1, 66.9, 59.7. And that Detroit game for me, I had him at a plus 1.95 grade, different grading systems, obviously. Ever since then, negative 0.1, negative 0.7, plus 0.15, negative 0.45, negative 0.2, negative 0.05, negative 0.4. It just hasn't been the same impact. And while there have been some games, uh, in they, they credit him with eight pressures against Minnesota in that particular game. In these last two games against Chicago and Detroit, he has three total pressures in those games. And I want to say it one more time. I'm not saying that Rashawn's playing poorly or that he's like this bad player or anything like that. He's been fine. He's been, he's mostly been doing his job more often than not, but it hasn't been the same sort of impact they need, especially 
with Enigbari out. They need Rashawn to play. Um, he has not played over, you know, like th- these are his snap counts um, Thirty since the Giants game, 39, 37, 41, 34, 34, 39. Only one game over 40 snaps, and that was 41 against Carolina. They need him in that 40 to 45 range, in my opinion, and they need him to be super impactful. This is, this is a big Rashawn Gary game, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And, you know, the the interior defensive line is going to have to continue playing, you know, at 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 the level that they've been at, generating that push inside, and I think that's helped absorb some of the, uh, you know, the the edge rusher position not necessarily getting home as frequently because they've been able to either produce some pressure sack opportunities for them or the interior defensive line in general has has been able to take care of it. And then, like you mentioned, you factor in that Forty ers run game, uh, it, it's going to be a challenge. All right, a couple of quick ones before we get out of here. Let's start with the injury report for this week that was released. It was a estimation since they did not actually practice, but this is their estimation, and I'll let you kind of point out anything that stood out to you. Jair Alexander limited, Kenny Clark limited, Dylan did not practice, Inigbari obviously did not practice, Rashawn Gary limited, Elton did not practice, Aaron Jones limited, Isaiah McDuffie did not practice with that neck injury, Keyshawn, Owens, Reed, and Savage were all limited. Preston Smith did not practice. Quay Walker was a full participant. And then Christian Watson was limited. What stood out to you on that initial estimated injury report? I think the the big one, the fact that Jair was out there or estimated would have been yep. out there practicing, uh, you know, that ankle injury that he suffered last week, you know, that took him out of the final two practices for the Packers. So the fact that he sustained, you know, another injury on Sunday to that ankle, but was, you know, would have been out there in some capacity, I think is definitely a good sign. Quay Walker being a full participant looked like he might've gotten a little banged up in that game. Um, Isaiah McDuffie did not participate. You know, he was taking some snaps and uh, like some early down situations yeah. uh, playing alongside, alongside Quay Walker. So he's been a, f- or move has been a factor on that defense, even with Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell being healthy. So something to watch there, just given his potential new role that's emerging. Preston Smith, Elton Jenkins, uh, you know, this seems to be, we'll find out more on Wednesday, but this seems to be kind of part of the trend. It definitely has been for Jenkins for an extended period of time. And then AJ Dillon still not still not participating. You know, Aaron Jones is playing at a really high level. He's had over 20 carries in each of these games, but you know, just having someone that you can rely on a little bit more versus a Emmanuel Wilson or a Patrick Taylor to shoulder some of that just kind of overall workload uh, obviously is is valuable to have. Yeah, Jair, the shoulder and the ankle. Aaron Jones added, I, I don't think he had a finger injury prior, did he? He's got a knee and a finger injury. Yeah, so a couple couple things to sit out, but you nailed pretty much all of them. All right, quickly on Packers 49ers, what are some of the keys that you're going to be watching as we start getting prepped for this huge game on Saturday? Yeah, I'm I'm, re- I'm just really excited to see this Packers offense go against that 49ers defense because that's that might be their biggest test of the season going against that unit because you look at every level, you know, there's Bosa and Young at edge rusher. You got Fred Warner at linebacker. Traverius Ward has been one of the best in football at making plays on the ball this season. You know, they're they're one of the best at slowing the run. They're one of the best at yards per pass attempts in terms of limiting quarterbacks. Like pick pick a category on the defensive side of the ball, and you're probably going to see the 49ers ranked up there, you know, fairly high. And so I'm just excited to see how this Packers team handles that. One, just the atmosphere. 
on the road, a playoff divisional game, but an opponent of that caliber. Like Matt LeFleur said, they called them the class of, of the NFC, one of the elite teams in the NFL. And so I'm just curious to see how the Packers <clears throat> offense handles that defense. And while, you know, the the point spread has the the Niners favored by like 10 or, or something like that, they're, and as good as that defense is, there's no defense out there right now, I don't care how good they are, that sees what the Packers are doing and what they're putting on tape and is excited to play that offense. The Packers are going to present their own challenges as well. Of course, it doesn't mean they're going to win. Like you said, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm excited to see how just kind of the game unfolds, but nobody's excited to play this Packers offense. Like I mentioned earlier, when you have Jordan Love playing at that elite level, when you have the offensive line, carving running lanes, providing time in the pocket, Aaron Jones playing the way he is, the wide receivers, the tight ends, just what they bring and how they stress defenses with any of them being targeted, all these things that we've talked about you know, in recent weeks opponents aren't excited to play that because this is a red hot Packers offense. And so I'm just excited to see how that aspect unfolds. And there's going to, you know, there's no real secret sauce to it. The little things always matter, but we know they're magnified in the playoffs, limit the penalties, uh, no turnovers on offense, take advantage of your red zone opportunities. It's going to, you know, get the run game going. So you don't become one dimensional behind the sticks. It's the things like that, that are going to play huge, huge factors in this as well. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting matchup against a team that has been a bit of a juggernaut. They've had their weak points this season. They're beatable. They're not. It's like this unstoppable team, but they're just supercharged in so many key areas. I think this is such a Brock Purdy game, in my opinion. And, you know, can you get Brock Purdy to make some of the mistakes that you really need this 49ers team to make? McCaffrey is such a dynamic playmaker in the backfield. And then, you know, you just have so many options off of that of like, just as soon as you start worrying about McCaffrey, then it's Debo and then it's Ayuk and then it's Kittle. And then it's just like, you know, as much of an embarrassment of riches that Green Bay has of like all of these mm-hmm. different flavors, San Francisco has those flavors, but like inexperienced all pro players at almost all those positions. And Kyle Shanahan as a, you know, just masterful offensive mind that knows how to utilize all of it. But I think Jordan's playing as, as well as any quarterback can in the NFL right now. And that gives you a puncher's chance in every game. It's a huge challenge. It's a massive challenge. The 10 seems so strong to me. I, I don't get it. I don't know how you watch this recent Green Bay team and decide 10 points is the right spread for this one. That just seems super aggressive. But um, Vegas Vegas knows usually sometimes. But, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited to see if this team can shock the world. And to our conversation at the beginning, um, this team seems to very much like those sort of situations. And it's almost when they've done best this year. So bring on the 10-point spread. I don't mind it one bit. Last but not least – just as everyone's getting ready for Packers 49ers, Goody says, hold up, hold up, hold up. Roster building is a 365-day-a-year process, and we need to start looking ahead to the 2024 next season. He brings in Deslin Alexander, DeAndre Johnson, and Christian Young, three linebackers, and says, we're, we're starting our prep for, for next year already. Um, no, I'm, I'm being facetious, but uh, obviously Goody saw something in the workouts that he liked. Christian Young, I believe, was a practice squad player at one point this mm-hmm. year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't have anything to say here on any of these guys, but any thoughts on their three pickups? Uh, not specifically on them with these future contracts. I think we see anywhere typically from 12 to 15 guys that the Packers are going to sign to build towards their 90-man roster for 2024. And a lot of players on that are going to be current practice squad players once the season yeah. ends. 
Yeah. So if anyone's really, really hoping for Deslin Alexander to step in and play for the injured Kingsley Nigbari this week, that will not happen. This is a futures contract. Um, they are not eligible to play on this year's team. They are not on this year's roster. They have to wait until the season is over and then they can ramp up in the off season and be part of the off season programs and those sort of things. Paul, amazing stuff as always. Any final thoughts or anything that you want to plug on your way out? Uh, I'll just add this one. I loved Matt LaFleur's quote on Monday, just talking about this matchup with the Niners and to the effect it was, it's a great challenge, but it's a great opportunity as well. Love that mindset. Love it. No, I totally love it. Uh, of course. Well, we'll just, I'll let you take it over. Where, where can we find all of your awesome work? Yeah. Follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettle. Find all my work over at Packers wire, head over to YouTube, Paul Brettle channel, hit like it, subscribe. I appreciate it. Yeah, make sure to give him a follow. He does amazing work every single week. We love having him here on Packaday as well. Uh, you can find the Packaday podcast at Packaday Podcasts, uh, so conveniently named. Uh, you can find me at Andy Herman NFL. That is going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Mm-hmm.